Hi, welcome to Eat, Sleep, and Don't Die, your weekly dose of nightmares and monsters, otherwise known as paranormal activity and true crime stories. Join me today as we talk about the Phantom Killer of Texarkana and Raynham Hall. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 13. Thanks for joining me today. Um, It's pretty late here, so I apologize in advance if I sound super tired. Um... (laughs) I kind of forgot all about recording today, and I'm not sure why, but I did the research already, I've got it ready, and we're in for some interesting stories today. So, um, I don't really have much to update you guys about from the past week. Nothing crazy's gone on, uh... No crazy dreams, no crazy happenings, nothing like that. Um, I did want to update you guys. We have 10 countries listening right now and 18 states. I'm so thrilled about that. Um, I can pull up the countries and states right now, um, but I am so excited. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for sharing with your friends, your family and stuff. Um, So the 10 countries are the U.S., of course, um, Russia, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, Singapore, Ireland, Netherlands, Austria, and Brazil. So thank you guys for listening. Um, And then the states that we have listening are Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, California, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Arizona, Washington State, Ohio, Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, Maryland, Montana, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. So I am still planning on doing something big when we get to all 50 states. So please, if you know people in states that I didn't mention, let them know to just give us a listen. Even if it's just the first episode and they're like yeah it's not really for me that is fine but if I can get at least one person from every state to listen to any of my episodes and hopefully they'll stick around and listen to all of them like you guys do um I would be so thrilled about that so let's try to get those uh other states in there and then for you guys in different countries get your friends to listen too it'd be pretty interesting to see how far this podcast can reach it's already reached across the world so I'm thrilled about that in general um I also am hoping to have my next um guest on the podcast hopefully in the next couple episodes so stay tuned to um announcements for that and you can find those announcements on the Facebook group which is ESDD podcast fan group so give that a follow and you'll get access to like hints to what the next episode's gonna be, um, announcements on different things regarding the podcast, um, yeah, so anything big like that, I usually announce it on the group, and then you get a chance to talk to me personally, because I'm, I'm on that group, I post at least, like, three, four times a week, so it'll be nice to get in on that group and get in on those conversations, um, but, Without any further information to give you guys or anything to talk about, let's get into the stories for this week. 
first story that we're going to get into today is the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. And the the killings were also known as like the Moonlight Killings or something like that. Um, but this was what I found the most information on. So the story is about the Phantom Killer from Texarkana. And Texarkana, this story, is about Texarkana, which is a town in Texas. So between February 22nd, 1946 and May 3rd of 1946, um, the Phantom Killer racked up eight victims total. So that was five that he killed and three that he wounded. Um, The first attack happened on February 22nd. Around 11.45 p.m., Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Larry, were visiting Lover's Lane, which... Um, I don't know if kids these days know what Lover's Lane is, but it was kind of just like usually a dirt road that led to nothing or like to the cliff of a mountainside that people would go to and then they'd like make out and do whatever they wanted to. Um, So they were visiting Lover's Lane somewhere around Texarkana in Texas um, after they went on a date to the movies. So about 10 minutes after they were there, a man in a white cloth mask, um, similar to a pillowcase with the eyes cut out, um, he approached the driver's side and told Jimmy, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. Um, So he ordered the couple to come out of their car and told Jimmy to take his goddamn britches off. Um, So, of course, Jimmy did because he didn't want to die. And then he was hit in the head two times with a pistol. And then Mary Jean said that it was so loud that she thought that the guy had shot Jimmy. Um, So the guy actually ordered Mary Jean to run. And then he caught, so she like ran to go to a ditch. And then he told her, no, you can't run that way, run this way. So she ran that way. And like she saw a car and she like, banged on it frantically and there was nobody in the car and then you know she kept running and he eventually caught up to her and when he caught up to her he asked her why she was running and she was like well you told me to run so I ran and then he called her a liar and then he hit her over the head and then he sexually assaulted her and um with the barrel of his gun And then she finally managed to escape and she ran a half a mile to wake up a resident of a house who then that resident phoned the police to come to the rescue. And all the meanwhile, Jimmy regained consciousness and he was able to flag down a nearby car. Um, And then that driver of the car left Jimmy where he was and went up the road to a nearby funeral home. And that's where he called the police. So within 30 minutes, County Sheriff Bill Presley and three other officers arrived at the scene, but the attacker was already gone. Um, Mary Jean was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound, but Jimmy was hospitalized for several days to recover from skull fractures, but they both survived this attack. Um, So they were the first two victims. And then on March 24th, the first double murder happened. Um, So the unlucky couple was Richard Griffin and his girlfriend of six weeks, Polly Ann Moore. 
and their bodies were found in Griffin's old Oldsmobile um, by someone who was driving by and he just thought they were sleeping and then discovered that they were actually dead. So the vehicle was found also on Lover's Lane and Griffin was found kneeling between the front seats and he was shot twice while he was in the, like he was shot in the car. Um, and then Moore was face down laying in the back seat with like all her clothes on and stuff, but she was believed to be killed outside the car because there was a blood-soaked spot on the ground just outside of the car. And there was rumors that she was sexually assaulted, but there was no actual official report of this. Um, and police denied the fact that she could have been assaulted. Um, so after this double murder, there was a reward offered, which was $500 for leading, for any info leading to the arrest and conviction. But nothing ever came of the leads that they got from this. Um... And on April 13th, the second double murder happened. So Betty Jo Booker was playing her weekly gig when her friend came to pick her up. And her friend's name was Paul Martin. And he was just, I think he was like three years older than her. They weren't too far off in age. But she was a minor. She was 15. Oh, so he was two years. He was, she was 15 and he was 17. So he was two years older than her. Um, but anyways, that's irrelevant. <laughs> um, but this was the last time that they were seen alive is when Paul went to pick up Betty Jo. So Paul's body was discovered around 6.30 a.m. by a couple and their son. And it was he was found laying on his left side. And blood was found down the road on the other side of the street by a fence. And that's where they believe he was actually killed. Um, or he was killed and then like kind of ran and fell and died or something. Um, but Betty Joe's body wasn't found until 1130 AM and it was two miles away from Paul's, but her body was found near a tree and she was lying on her back fully clothed. So she was shot twice also, and she was shot in the chest and once in the face. So the weapon was determined to be the same weapon from the first double murder. So, um, this double murder and the first double murder had the same, um, what is it, caliber shot from the handgun, um, and there was no, there were no shots fired in that first attack where you had, um, oh, what's, what was her name? Jimmy and, and his girlfriend, uh, Mary Jean, sorry. So in that first attack, there were no shots fired. They were just hit with the handgun. So they didn't have an actual caliber pistol to link it to the first and second double murder. But they did believe that all three attacks were committed by the same person. Um, which kind of makes sense because the first couple were an actual romantic couple. The second, same thing, and they were both found on Lover's Lane. And then this second one, if the attacker didn't know, he could have easily assumed that they were also a couple, you know. Um, so that was the second double murder. So at this point, the reward for info had reached $1,700, which in today's money 
would be $22,700 roughly. Um, but this also bring no fruitful leads to the investigation. Um, and at this point, tensions were kind of high in the community because, you know, two people were attacked, four people were killed in this small town of Texarkana. So um, on May 3rd, the final crimes happened. So Virgil Starks, what, he was a farmer. So he was just home relaxing in his armchair. His wife gave him a heating pad for his back, and then she went to go lay in bed. Um, so his wife was laying on the bed in her room, and she heard a noise coming from outside, and she asked her husband to just lower his radio because she heard something. Um, so a couple seconds later, two shots were fired into the back of Virgil's head through a closed window in the living room that was three feet away from him. So at first, his wife Katie said that she thought Virgil had dropped something and broken something. So she went to go, she didn't think it was shots, but she went to go see what he had dropped and broken. Um, and when she entered the living room, she saw him stand and then kind of fall and slump in his chair. So she ran over to him only to like realize that he was already dead, like he had been shot and he was dead. So this is where things get really wild in the story. And I don't know if you guys are ready for it, but here it goes. <laughs> um, so Katie ran to her wall crank phone, which again, if I have young listeners, they probably have no idea what this phone looks like, but it kind of was like just a wooden box with a receiver on it. And then like a, a mega mini megaphone looking thing that you would talk into. And I don't even honestly... I don't know how it worked because I they were never around when I was younger. We did have like the the circle dial phones. Um, I my mom actually had one in our living room, um, but we did not have these wall crank phones. But apparently, she was able to ring twice, and then she was actually shot twice in the face. So one bullet entered her right cheek and exited out behind her left ear. And then the second one entered just below her lip and it ended up breaking her jaw and splintering several, several teeth. And then the bullet got lodged under her tongue. Um, and of course she fell down, but then she managed to get up and then run to her room. So initially she was trying to run to the living room to get the, um, she was trying to run to the living room to get the, the pistol that her and her husband had gotten because she was sure that the attacker was trying to get into the house. And I don't know what the layout of her house was, but she ended up like running to her room and then she heard him coming through the kitchen window. So then she ran through like, the living room, the dining room, another bedroom, another room, and then out the front door. So I don't know what the layout of, of the house was because it didn't quite make sense to me, but she ended up doing all of that. She ran out the front door um, and she ended up running first to her sister's house, which was across the street, 
but nobody was home so she ran to their neighbor's house and um when he when when the neighbor answered the door uh she just kind of gasped and said Virgil's dead and then she collapsed so um the neighbor ended up grabbing his rifle and doing like a rifle shot into the air like just blankly up into the air to summon another neighbor to come over so this this initial neighbor was Mr. Prater Prater so him his wife and their baby and then the neighbor Mr. Taylor who the who he summoned all took Katie the, the to the hospital um to for her for her face obviously for treatment from being abused or being shot sorry um but she survived so police questioned her about the attack um and there was a rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their house for several nights and he actually feared for his life because of it um but Katie said that it wasn't true this never happened um a headline read murder rock city again farmer slain wife wounded and this was the very next day that this headline was out there um over 12 men were arrested three were held for extensive questioning but they were all eventually let go because there was no evidence against them um sheriffs from four counties the texas rangers and chief deputy tillman johnson all worked around the clock on the cases and they said there was like 47 police officers i think that were working this case and trying to protect the the town like around the clock um and the night of the last murder the reward fund had reached just over seven thousand dollars which in today's money would be ninety three thousand dollars ninety three thousand five hundred dollars so it had reached like enormous amounts of money for back then um so although Virgil's murder may not have actually been connected to um the previous ones um in 1948 authorities officially unlinked the two so no one was ever caught in any of these attacks there was no uh, official evidence besides like bullet casings and then at the Virgil's house there was um like bloody footprints and there was a few fingerprints but they could never find anybody that matched them um and at the height of the panic in the city the city actually set a curfew residents would lock their doors which back then it was uh, very common for people to just leave their doors unlocked their windows open blinds open whatever but um at the height of the panic they locked their doors they closed their shades, they blocked their windows, and then the citizens began arming themselves with guns, and they even bought out the local stores of all their guns and ammo. And then, like, there was even um, reports that they uh, not only bought out the guns and ammo, but they also bought out, like, blinds and locks and, like, little uh, things to to keep your door from opening and just a bunch of like security stuff um so even even the cops were scared of some of the the residents 
because the cops had to sound their sirens, stand in front of their headlights, and announce themselves to avoid being shot by nervous residents. So that's how scared these residents were. And honestly, I don't blame them. If you've had um, five people murdered and three people attacked in your small town, I would probably freak out too. And I don't know. It's crazy. So the Texarkana Daily News gave the killer the name the Phantom Killer on April 16th. Um, An official description is unknown as the only people to see the attacker were Jimmy and Mary Jean, but their descriptions were contradictory. So Jimmy had said that it was a white male, about six foot tall, average build with a, um, like a pillowcase over his head with the eyes cut out. And Mary Jean said that it was an African-American man that was six foot tall, um, average build, and he had like a paper bag, like a white paper bag with the eye holes cut out. So the only thing that they both got right was that there was something white covering the um, attacker's face with the holes cut out and that it was about six foot tall and average build. But without knowing any other features of this person, like scars, tattoos, uh, whatever, you know, there's not much they can go by. And because they didn't know if he was white or black or Asian or whatever, you know, they don't know who it could have been, you know. So there was no official description of who it was. But police and investigators believe that his motives were sexual. So they referred to it as sexual mania. And I think that's because the first... Uh, Mary Jean was sexually assaulted um, and then there were those rumors that the second or the first double murder so the second people second couple that he attacked she was uh, sexually assaulted even though they there are no official reports that she was Um, and then the fact that he attacked couples so each attack was against couples even the last one, Virgil and his wife, Katie. Um, So that's kind of the story. Um, There was a movie released in 1976 that was loosely based on the events, and that was called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And then in 2007, there was a band called The Bad Detectives, and they recorded a song called Texarkana Moonlight, which was about the crimes. Like, that's what they sing about in it. Um, So that is the story of the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. Um, It's pretty crazy. Who knows if even all of these attacks were related to begin with. Um, The only two that I think are officially um, related would be the two double murders because they're both carried out by the same gun. That was ballistics Uh, link those two together definitely but Virgil's attack was they said it was a rifle that killed him so you can't really um, attach a rifle to a pistol they shoot different you know whatever so who knows if that one was related to the others who knows if the two double murders were related to the initial attack on um, the first couple so I mean it could have been 
three separate attackers or it could have been one or two or who knows but I thought that was a pretty crazy and interesting story and then the the drive that Katie had to save herself after she had been shot in the face twice and then she's lucky enough that she got shot in the face twice and still lived and was able to get up and run and go to a neighbor's house and still seek out medical attention because most people probably would have died um so I guess she's probably dead now but bless her for living through that and making it through um but yeah so that's that's the story of the phantom killer of Texarkana and we'll move on to our next story Our second story today is Raynham Hall, and it's located in Norfolk, England. Um, this is going to be a short, quick little story. Um, I tried to find more information, but without going into like the long, long history of England, <laughs> um, which I know every time I cover something in England, I always say without going into it too deep, you know, because it it could literally be like six episodes long just to tell you about all the history that goes behind uh, certain um, certain hauntings or murders or just the history in England is so vast. There's so much history there. Um, so this one's quick and short because there's only one ghost in this story and I'm just going to go over pretty much a quick history like a very quick history and then um, tell you a little bit about the ghost and then what people have seen so Raynham Hall is located in Norfolk England and for it's been there for nearly 400 years and it's been the home of the Townsend family so I'm I'm going to pronounce it the Townsend family it's spelt t-o-w-n-s-h-e-n-d but I'm pretty sure it's not said Townshend. So, but if I'm wrong, please uh, send me an email or you can post it on the group and just let me know I said it wrong and tell me how to say it because I would like to know. Um, so, continuing on, the hall gets its name from the five estate villages known as the Raynums. Um, the most famous resident was Charles Townsend, second Viscount Townsend, and he was the leader of the Lords. Uh, the hall is currently owned by Charles Townsend, 8th Marquess Townsend. Um, I, I don't really know how they come up with these names for people, like 8th Marquess Townsend. What does that really mean? I don't really know. <laughs> um, but that's who currently owns it. Uh, the hall was built by Sir Roger Townsend in 1620, and additions were made in 1730. I couldn't find much more about the history of the house, or the hall as they call it. Um, I do know that Charles Townsend was... Uh, he took great pride in the hall and he loved it and he wanted it to be like the most kind of, I don't know, for lack of better words, like the most majestic 
thing that you could see when you come visit the rural area and stuff. Um, so Raynham Hall is said to have a ghost, just one, um, and she was captured on film in one of the most famous ghost pics in Britain. So the ghost of Lady Dorothy, which was Turnip Townsend's second wife, and I looked it up and Turnip, Turnip Townsend is actually Charles Townsend, second Viscount of Townsend. He um, it was called Turnip Townsend because of some farming technique that he developed where he rotated out like four crops and I don't know. Like I said, long history of how they come up with all these names and, and what they do and things like that. But um, Lady Dorothy was also the sister of what is claimed to be Britain's first Prime Minister, uh, Robert Walpole. So she was rumored to be locked up in the house by her husband, hence why she haunts the house and the staircase to this day. Um, Lady Dorothy supposedly committed adultery with Lord Wharton, and that's why she was locked away in the hall. She ended up dying in 1726 from smallpox. Um, the ghost of Lady Dorothy is referred to as the brown lady because of the brown dress that she wears. So this comes from the first sighting of a ghost that happened in 1835 when Colonel Loftus and a, and a guest named Hawkins claimed to have seen the brown lady as they approached their rooms for the night, noting that she wore a dated brown dress. So Loftus also reported seeing her again the next night, um, and he said that when he saw her, she had empty eye sockets, and he said that he noted he noticed it because it was just a dark two dark holes in a very glowing face. Um, then in 1926, Lady Townsend said that her son and his friend claimed to have seen. Um, the brown lady on the staircase and confirmed uh, a portrait of Lady Dorothy Walpole as the ghost. So they saw the the portrait and said, yeah, that's the, that's the brown lady. Um, on December 26, 1936, Country Life magazine published a photo of the supposed brown lady that they took and it also appeared in Life magazine on January 4th 1937. So the story behind this picture is that they were going around the house taking pictures and they had already taken a picture of the staircase but um, the, the person that was taking the pictures like the way they took pictures back then was um, you'd have someone underneath a cloth that would have the camera and they would kind of whatever position it and then somebody else would click the button and it would, it would cause the flash to go off and a picture to be taken. So the person that was standing there with the button for the flash had said, hey, get ready, I'm going to take this picture because he had seen what looked like a mask coming down the stairs. So he snapped the picture. When they went later on to develop the pictures, that's when they saw this figure on the staircase. So that picture itself that was published in 1936 by Country Life magazine is the picture that I referred to earlier that's like one of the most popular ghost pictures that comes out of Britain. 
Um, now, this picture has a lot of criticisms, such as people saying that they intentionally put, like, oil or a smudge or something on the camera's lens so that it would appear as something was coming down the stairs. Um, people say it's double exposure because if you look at it, like, the tops of the stairs are really bright when they shouldn't be, and then that there's, like, um, a reflection in one of the corners that there's a double reflection when it should only be one and they say that's evidence of double exposure um, there's even there's even a claim that it's a superimposed picture of, of the staircase and then the Madonna statue which is the Virgin Mary because they say it's got that same shape it looks like her hands are a certain way and her face is covered I mean, her head is covered in, like, a headdress, and so they said that they think it was them putting those two pictures, one on top of another, and then developing it. Um, so, who knows if it is real or if it, if it was faked, but, I mean, who's trying to fake that in the 1930s, you know? I don't know, I don't feel like that was a big thing, like, oh, let me try to capture ghosts in the 1930s like it is now, um... But I thought that was kind of a quick, interesting story. Um, yeah, so that's that's the end of the brown lady who haunts Raynham Hall. Uh, I did see that the Townsend family is saying that Lady Dorothy wasn't miserable or kept against her will in the house um, because they found like letters that she was so in love with. Uh, Charles Townsend and blah 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 but who really knows because there are a lot of reports that he had a lot of anger issues and he was known to have like violent eruptions when he was mad and um so who really knows what happens and if she did have an affair with Lord War Wharton then I mean it very well could have been that he got mad and he was like, you're staying in this house. And that was it. Because back then, that's how things were. You did whatever your husband said. And if you stepped out on your husband, you know, he would beat you and you just dealt with it or whatever. So I'm not saying she was beaten, but that's just how things were back then and nobody said anything. So she very well could have been held against her will or she could have just stayed in the house because that's what she wanted to do. So... Either way, she did die of smallpox, and she is said to haunt the hall. So, that is the end of this story. Alright, so that's the end of this episode. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed those two stories. Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Instagram page, which is at ESDDpod. So give that a follow. The Facebook group, which is ESDD Podcast Fan Group. And you can just pop that up in the search and it'll come up with the same picture that is the cover photo of this podcast will come up as the picture for the Facebook group. Um... I also wanted to let you guys know that you can email me your personal stories, what, whatever you guys want to hear, um, any criticisms you have, constructive criticisms, um, 
and I am definitely looking for more stories for the listeners episode which comes out every first Monday of the month um if you send me your personal stories I will read them out on that you can also go to the um anchor website and pull up this podcast and if you click um there's a way to send like a voice message to me you can actually record your story in your own words and then I can just input that into the episode so you tell the story so it'll be kind of like you're a guest speaker on the podcast in a way um so that's a pretty cool way to include you guys in the podcast um so that's the email is eat.sleep.anddon'tdie at gmail.com. So you can email me. That's fine. Um, I wanted to also shout out the merch site, which is esddpodcast.bigcartel.com. And again, we have three shirts. We have an adult male, adult female, and then a youth shirt. And then there's also a mug on there. So, um, you guys can check that out. The, my mom actually posted the mug on the Facebook group. So if you guys want to see it, you guys can check that out. She has a picture of it, like the actual physical mug. So you guys can see what it looks like. Um, and the last thing I wanted to shout out was the Patreon page, which is Patreon slash ESDD pod. And there are four levels of membership. You have your, um, three progressive ones which are three five and ten dollars and then you have your sponsorship level which gets you like um a personal message on the podcast or a shout out of your business or uh, whatever you want um and each level comes with its own rewards for helping sponsor my podcast and all the money that's donated through patreon helps me make this podcast better so If you can support, please do. If not, you listening supports me enough. So I really appreciate that. Um, And yeah, so thank you guys for listening. That's all I've got for you today. Hopefully I'll have more for you next week. Um, But let me know what you guys want to hear. Email me, post it on the Facebook group, send me a message, whatever. Um, I look forward to interacting with you guys this week and recording next week's episode so have a wonderful night have a wonderful week um have a good weekend you know whenever you listen to this podcast have a good one um and i'll catch you guys next week